This may be an unseemly thing to say, but it's quite possible her husband's death was the president's lucky day. This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 225 for the week of November 5th, 2018. I am evil talk soup host David Teekle, and I'm here with maternity Manolos, Sarah D. Bunting. More like Braxton Hacks, am I right? Photo op victim Tara Ariano. Don't recoil from me again. And corpse in a van on the side of the road, Catherine Van Arendong. I will stab you with a letter opener. (laughs) (sighs) Something we may have wanted to say to the writers of House of Cards. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Welcome back to another week of Extra Hot Great. Uh, As we record this, it is the midterm election. So what better time than to discuss the last season of House of Cards with our guest, Catherine Van Arendong. Hello, Catherine. Hello. Um, there is both a lot to unpack here and also strangely not much to unpack yeah. here in uh, the uh, limping to its weirdo conclusion <laughs> season six of House of Cards solves Kevin Spacey. But before we get into how we feel that went, um, I don't think there's going to be a lot of disagreement. But first, a poll of the panel, which was faker. Um, Robin Wright's pregnancy pad, <laughs> Doug Stamper's weirdo beardo, <laughs> or Constance Zimmer's pointless hair extensions. Oh, boy. Catherine, what is your feeling? I I have got to go with the pregnancy pad because it was, it was it distracting. Had corners, right? <laughs> like it was <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Well, she might be giving birth to Demon C from the 1970s, you know, that uh, <laughs> octagonal was... demon robot. I The show did not do a great job ruling that out. It's true. Yeah. And her arms and legs were still so skinny. But I, I have to personally give it to the beard. It, in the dark, it was okay. And I actually thought, Michael Kelly should grow a beard. It really suits him. But in, in direct light, it was like you really could see a lot of a lot of light through it there's a really fantastic kids in the hall skit with uh, kevin mcdonald who grows a beard (laughs) who comes infatuated with it and just they just rules his life and at one point his wife comes down to talk to him and he's just like he's stroking his beard he screams the bear stays you go and it kind of looked like that beard it was just like a little too bushy a little too grown in for a man of that you know, quality of her sootiness and it uh, yeah it was super bad I, i i actually but for me, like the, the most fakey, weird thing about this season was just the levels the they went to when they had to avoid actual Kevin Spacey content, yep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> including the funeral photos, which always cut off at the neck. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and the knots they tied themselves into with the audio recordings of his. Why don't you just let me hear it? I can't. I can't yeah. do that. Why not? <laughs> Reasons. <laughs> Hashtag me too. Okay. Uh, I mean, look, I'm I'm glad it's over. I had watched every single episode and yep. it was at the point now where enjoying it is not the correct metric. But first of all, I'm a completist. And second of all, it was so crazy and it was always beautiful to look at. Like, I just liked watching robin wright in this role she was like aesthetically pleasing to me except for the pregnancy pad that was also true 
here. Her mm-hmm. outfits were fantastic. But this just felt like, I mean, it had go- it had strayed so far from what made it interesting in the first few seasons, which was that there was enough of like um processy, realistic underpinning that the pot boily stuff was believable and there was a reason for it. But now we're in just like all machinations and no it's like she as president doesn't do anything except scheme and that was also true before kevin spacey was deleted so i don't think you can really blame his ouster for and they're having to scramble to redo the whole season for that i just think the show had run its course anyway and i was a little bit sad that they didn't do more with her ascension and her keeping power. And I don't know, it just seemed like a waste. Yeah. I, I had the same complaint, which was they, they, the only thing that we knew that she was about was advancing women. And even that seemed very sketchy there. We had the moment in the premiere where she's at an air force base on the 4th of July and mentions to this one, you know, uh, air woman, that she's going to get the ERA passed. And this person who is like born in the nineties is like, great. Like, it seems like she doesn't even know what that is. Um, But then, you know, later we also have the thing where she's like scheming to, you know, fake a 25 a situation so that she can fire the entire cabinet and replace them all with women, which we all know because we've been doing nothing but follow real politics for like the last two years Every single one of those people would need to be confirmed. You can't surprise <laughs> appoint a whole cabinet. That's ridiculous. But uh, Catherine had some of the my b- more favorite complaints on Twitter about the bonkersosity of this season. So why don't yeah. you go over that, starting with your uh, your handle up top? <laughs> yeah, I so my I think this is my favorite moment of the oh. whole season. <laughs> is she's out running in DC in the middle of the night, as you know, every president does on of a course. random street, followed by like a bunch of Secret Service people. Again, random street, DC, middle of the night. And a van pulls up because that seems fine and normal. And uh, she like pulls over to the side of the road and the door of the van slides open and there's just a corpse in the van. It is the corpse <laughs> of Tom Yates, who is this writer who is like all embroiled with like sex stuff. And Frank, oh, this is a separate complaint, but I basically <laughs> had no idea what happened in this entire season, which I'll get to in a second. But um but like there's there's his corpse just there. And then she basically oh, not, just not just there <laughs> with the body bag, like unzipped and artfully framed around yeah. him like a big collar on Candace Bergen on Sex in the City. Like, What oh are you God. doing? That's true. That's true. And he looked very pale, which I mean, he is a corpse, but he looked particularly <laughs> bad. And uh, and then she just goes like, yeah. That seems right. And then just keeps going. Like, <laughs> I couldn't believe that. I mean, that for me was was delightful in how stupid it was. But <laughs> my sense of watching the rest of the season was just because it because it is exactly what you were saying, where it's like all machinations, no policy or content, really. Right. I, I had no sense of really what was actually happening at any given point moment like there are all these people around her i don't know what any of their jobs are 
even just, you know, as like a lampshade, like I have no idea what any of their positions are supposed to be. Um, So I'm not ever sure like who is there for sinister reasons and who's there because they're actually (laughs) supposed to be there. Um, I'm not sure who are her allies and who aren't because no one is sort of like it just the, the entire thing felt like intense, constant whispering about nothing. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. And like also the highest possible stakes all the time by people with absolutely no <laughs> morals. So it's just like the um, cynicism is just turned up to a 10 all the time. Right. If everything is a death plot, then it's yeah. like, are your death plots really right. that meaningful anymore? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when you yeah. when you can only when you, ultimately you solve all your problems by killing that problem, the path to there isn't really all that compelling. No, and exactly. that seemed to be their you know their operation since season like two and a and a bit or so. Like that's <laughs> yeah. well, we can't figure this out right. politically. You know, there's always murder, and then there's always <laughs> murder. And it was shocking the first couple of times, but now you're like, well, that guy's dead. You know, like that guy's going to get it somehow and she's going to get it somehow. And sure enough, there they are. And, yeah. you know, it's more house of knives and house of cards at a certain point. Yeah. And, and it I, seems like the writers have like forgotten things they used to know about politics or else, the, you know, these are all new people that haven't been around and don't care. But like, it's, it's true that we don't know who's who or who's allied with her, but like it, the idea that that um, Campbell Scott as Mark, the VP, is clearly acting in a chief of staff role to the point where, like, they have to have him explain in the premiere who he what his actual job is. Yeah. And then he's like with her all the time. He's riding places like shit. We know because we're not dumb. Does not happen with presidents and vice presidents for, you know, very good security reasons. But also, like, was it just because you didn't feel like having a chief of staff like there's no way that position would not be filled right and then she's also she's her own press secretary while she's eight months pregnant (laughs) what did you guys think of what i was dubbing the pepsi family they're not quite the cokes but you know (laughs) with uh greg kinnear and diane lane Lane. and the antichrist um (laughs) I wanted them to make what was clearly supposed to be a like gross brother sister sex relationship grosser, yes. right? Yes. Uh, they kept pointing at this like they're too close, like. And there's that moment early in the season where they're in a room together and somebody walks in and is like, yes, "Oh, I'm in. sorry, I'm interrupting uh-huh. you." And I was really hoping we were going to go farther down that twisted relationship, but it never seemed to get as gross as I wanted it to be. Um, in part because Greg Kinnear was always but never quite dying. And yeah. <laughs> um, that really brought down the, I feel like, the energy of that of that whole family. Uh, more big tumor energy than big dick energy for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, and especially if you're going to make a whole thing of the son's parentage, like everyone was waiting for it to be their kid. Right. Yeah. Um, and then to pull like of all the punches to pull, that's the one. Come on. And of all the actors to just basically subtract from the back half of the yeah. season, like leave like Cody Fern can make something out of this. Don't mm-hmm. 
don't like put a scrub in like Seth is is not gonna do it sorry <laughs> and then it, it's also at the point where like you're always bracing for something to happen so when Seth is like nervously snacking on Doug's barbecue I'm like it's poison and then it wasn't yep. and I was bummed out like it just needed to be like if you're gonna be this bonkers yeah go full empire and yeah. be that bonkers but yeah, yeah. I my my other issue with the bonkersness, which I usually like in a really bonkers show, but it was that I could never tell how much time was passing or mm. was supposed to have passed at any. Like, it's useful when she announces that she's pregnant, actually, because at least then you have like within a nine month frame ish that could be. <laughs> yeah. But there is almost no other way to reckon with what actually time scale you're working with. And I was really frustrated because it meant that there were all <laughs> of these all of these little bits that felt like they could have been more like interesting traps that got like laid and then they would spring later. And instead, they would just sort of fizzle like stupid Doug's beard you see him with this beard and you're like, oh, no, it's the like he's off the reservation beard or whatever. Uh, and then before the end of the episode, he just cuts it like I was I it just nothing ever gets made with that whole plot because I have no idea how long he had the beard because no episode all episodes take one day and like seven months. So right. it just grew in overnight. It was like, <laughs> Hey, speaking about that beard, let's talk about yeah. how people cut their long mountain man beards in pop culture. Does nobody in the movie or TV universe just have shears? Like <laughs> the idea that first they have to go around and cut big chunks of their beard off with scissors before they use a straight razor or whatever on them is crazy. Like everybody has a pair of just like, you know, cheap you know, mustache trimmer kind of things. And that's what you do first. He's like, bzz, 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 and then you're like, you're 99% you're way there. And if you really just have to go to the, you know, to the ball instead of just going to McDonald's, then you, you know, you give it a straight razor shave. But I think it's, I, honestly, I think it's because of that scene in Royal Tenenbaums that everybody does it, still does it. I, and I think mm. like that set the bar and they're like, yeah, let's do that. But really folks, you're just getting a pair of shears you're getting that beard off and that, that that's it. You're calling it a day. You're not doing all this crap. It was very, very upsetting to me. <laughs> Dave really was mad. Here's my petty complaint about the show. Um, every, every home looks the same. And I know mm. that they're trying to make it look like, you know, capture this sort of like generic, you know, pastel-y DC tastefulness. But like Doug's place could be, be anyone's place like it there's no there's no personality to any location like tom's house looks the same as kathy's house looks the same as the white house looks the same as <laughs> this fucking hotel room we're in all the time like it just seems like they went to the same you know rooms to go in pflugerville and got uh, all of the you know the yeah. the seafoam green accessories that they could possibly need and just like remix them in everyone's place to your point, there's a scene where Claire is testing paint swatches on, on the wall and they're yeah. all basically the same yes, color. It's, it's the it's palette like, oh, yeah. of the show. It's like, a, yeah. you know, there's that one brand of paint, they, you know, the, the, the fancy, fancy guy paint, uh, yeah. you know, the stately colors only palette. And it's basically, yeah, the show is, is definitely that. There's one exception, which is the journalist who, like, you know, the one with the dog. Right. Oh, Tom. 
Yeah. 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 Who the non dead to, like, show, He comes to, uh, she comes to visit him and he like offers her a seat and then she has to like shove over a bunch of papers and junk mail and shit like that so that she could sit down. And I was like, mm-hmm. checks mm-hmm. out. I always yeah. thought that's what Doug Stamper's apartment should be like. Yeah. Like absolutely. his apartment, even though it was generic, always seemed too neat to me. Yes. That dog is exactly the same thing that I was talking about with the plot that you're like, not quite sure. Like, it seems like it's supposed to be a big deal and go somewhere. And then it totally doesn't like at the last moment of his life, Tom puts a USB on the dog's collar. And then later, Constance Zimmers and you're like, oh, it's going to be this huge thing. Like, where is his story? Where did the research go? Who can find it? Whatever. You never see the dog again. <laughs> and Constance Zimmer goes, I found this USB on a dog collar. And like, that's supposed to be this huge, exciting or not. Or it just I nobody took advantage of how great it is to hide your research on a dog. It yeah. just and Fizzles. then she drives off and the way it's shot, you're like, and the car blows up in three, two, and then it totally. doesn't. And it's like, <laughs> yes. why did you use that shot setup? Like there were just so many it there were so many lost opportunities. And yeah. I just think they didn't maybe have the heart anymore. Like by the time they get to the last few episodes, it really did just seem like you know who can and then they're one by one picking off all of the characters that i liked and it's like all right so your last act is to kill my favorite doug stamper okay and then it Spoiler, is over question yeah dave was like there isn't another episode like nope was, that's the end yeah me too i checked and i was like keeping count i was like all right good last one and then i was like wait maybe this was episode seven no. Yeah, I thought the same thing. And I thought for a season where, like, for me, this season, like, like 90% of it is just the president and PepsiCo trading power plays back and forth and doing one up and screwing over the others. And then at the end, she stabs Doug. And that was like the season. Like, it seemed just like it was just like this, you know, a back and forth between these two. And like, everything else was just sort of happening. And then it just ends and i was just like what what about like what happened with the pepsi people like are they gonna have like is this the end like it didn't it just seemed like it just not that a show needs to resolve all paths but this one just ended in a way that seemed like it just ran out of money yeah and then they were just like you know what nope like oh let's go through this (laughs) tunnel and get out the other side it's like oh no the coyote painted the tunnel on the cliffside and we are trained to slammed into it and the show's over i have a lot of sympathy for the way it ends because i know exactly that feeling when you're writing an article and then you get to the point where you're like i just feel like this should stop now yep. <laughs> I hit my yeah. word limit show over that ending is so bad but i but i was just that ending is so bad but i but i almost can't hate it because i relate to it so strongly yeah, yeah, but at the same time, it just really highlights the fact that, like, this season did not need to happen. No. Like, every season ends in a way that's, like, closed-ended but also open-ended in the way that, like, if they wanted to revisit this franchise, you know, in five years when it's not so radioactive, like, they could essentially reset it with all new people and it could yeah. be, you know, House of Cards, The Next Generation or whatever. Like, Robin Wright wouldn't even necessarily have to be in it. and And then they also wouldn't have to go to all these, like, completely you know, lampshady machinations to be like, here's where Kevin Spacey isn't. Don't worry. There's not going to be any whiff of like 
any you, you're not going to even hear his voice like he he never existed as far as the show's concerned and it's like there it, none of this none of this was necessary except as like an attempted emmy factory right. and i don't think it's going to get any of those either God, i think I you can not. tell Should because not. like each yeah. season sort of had like as you say like a moment at the end where they leveled up it was like a video right. game and each season yeah. they just they just defeated their political boss of some sort and the next season you know now they're at the the you know they went from state to federal and federal to executive and executive to other executive and, mm-hmm. and then in the last season it was just sort of like the same level again like the stakes like i don't know what you know like now i'm emperor of the world like like there was no sort of satisfying <laughs> now i'm the pope upmanship involved yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Catherine, before we wrap this up, did you want to um, highlight Diane Lane's um, accident? <laughs> yes, I do think that there uh, is a, there are a lot of reasons why this season should not have existed, which uh, Dave has laid out very thoroughly. But there are also good reasons that it did exist. One of them is that Patricia Clarkson has sex with a guy for no reason and then says you're very dehydrating, which yeah. is fantastic. Um <laughs> But the other one is that it means that all of these actors are doing press. And one of them uh, in in a recent interview with Vanity Fair, um, Diane Lane is talking about her relationship in the show with uh, uh, Robin Wright's character, Claire Underwood. And she says, but we didn't pass the rectal test. Am I saying it right? And the answer is no, you're not saying it right, because I believe that you mean the Bechtel test. No, to and be honestly, with the bechamel test uh-huh. also very important. Also extremely important because you got to whisk that flower in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Honestly, if the only reason this season exists is to give us Diane Lane calling it the rectal test, then like I'm not that mad. <laughs> you know what? That's fair. Her hair looked great too. Sure did. <laughs> Perfect. Now it's on to our own personal rectal test. It's around the dial. First stop, Tari Ariana. Um, let's talk about Will and Grace. As you know, if you've ever read, I didn't mean it that right. way. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I know, I know. Any, if you've read any of my fake Deborah Messing email correspondence at previously.tv, or if you follow me on Instagram or Twitter, you know that I regard Deborah Messing as a ridiculous clown. That said, <clears throat> this season of Will and Grace, uh, which was rebooted, um last year this is now like the second the second season of the new era that's pretending that the finale of season eight never happened um it's better than last year uh david schwimmer is is grace's love interest and he's actually very funny i think the two of them are good together but this past week they had a storyline where um her dad who's not played by her dad from the original run of the series don't get me started uh makes her go with him to visit the um, Bobby, her mother's um, marker in a mortuary. And he also wants to go and visit some other friend of his named Harry who died and she doesn't want to go. And he keeps like pressing her and he was such a good friend to him. And he gave her a job when she was a teenager and blah, blah, blah. And this leads to her making a very angry traumatic disclosure, which was that this guy who was a friend of her dad's when she was employed by him sexually assaulted her and it's not that this is not an important story to be told in any context, let's say, but 
This was not what Will and Grace ever did. It sticks out so much. And they're trying so hard to be relevant with like the very, very timely topical storylines. And like, I get it. Like you want to get blog coverage. I understand it's 2018, but it's not funny. Like this is not what we watch the show for. And also, like, this is a character who's like, we've never heard of him before. It's not like it's, it reaches back into anything we ever knew about her character or her work history or, like, her dad's friends. Like, in the original run of the show, he was in one episode. So this all seems, like, so opportunistic and cynical and, and not helpful in telling any kind of, like, hashtag me too story. And I just feel like... This is something she specifically wanted to do. I have no evidence for that being true. How would I possibly know that she went to the writers and was like, give me a Me Too story? But it really reads that way. I, and I they need to get could, back to what's that? I think you could definitely argue, given that she's besties <clears throat> with uh, Hargate. Yeah. That she was feeling the pressure to, you know, be El Serioso about it. Yeah, but wow, it's it was so uncomfortable and bad to watch. And like, I wish it didn't happen. Like, you know, who turns into a sitcom to see Robert Klein, like clutching his head in anguish because he just found out this horrible fact about his dead friend? Like, really? <laughs> and it's even worse because the other storyline involves um, Will and Karen having a, a lip sync monologue contest to see who gets to be Jack's best man in his wedding. Like, do we want to see Eric McCormack lip syncing the leave Britney alone speech? Yes, it's wonderful. <laughs> and then cut back to this. Just like, oh, God, why is this happening to us? So Will and Grace, please go back to being funny and silly and stop trying to be so relevant all the time. You're embarrassing yourself and me and Robert Klein. Uh, for my plug, I'll mention um, we're going to be talking about Homecoming next week um, on this podcast. But in the meantime, if you watched it this weekend, if you decided to watch Homecoming on Amazon instead of House of Cards on Netflix, we get it. Um, I wrote a very spoilery post about it for Slate um, about a particular moment in episode eight. So we'll link it in the show notes. But if you wanted to, if you're watching through and, and have gotten to that point, you might want to check out the post if not. And if you're watching through, as I said, spo spoiler warning, it's uh, it's about a, something that happens in episode eight. So you are warned. All right, Catherine, what do you got? All right. Uh, so I want everyone who listened to that very sad tale of Will and Grace <laughs> to instead watch Superstore. And okay. I feel like it just is it's a sitcom that doesn't get enough love it doesn't get enough attention for being as thoughtful and funny and um capable of taking on serious issues in a way that feels really really true to the characters who are involved in that show um and i, I it brings me a great deal of joy if you don't know about superstore it's on nbc and um it the premise is basically it's a lot of employees of a Target or Walmart-esque big box store. And you think about that and you think, oh, that sounds really dumb and frustrating and I will <laughs> ignore it. And what it's actually about is a really, really humane, funny, like not serious, but not, um, not mean look what that life is like. And there's a really good will they won't they that's sort of finally in the place of resolving now several seasons in. 
And it's also been, from the beginning, been really, really good at dealing with stories like what happens if we wanted to unionize so that our employees could have maternity coverage? Or what is it like when um, some of our employees are here for like lifelong career purposes and some of them are intending to have this be like a little stopgap in their in their lives. Um, what is the relationship between management and like the much more unstable employment opportunities that people who sort of are coming in and, and going have? And it just is is so goofy. There are these my favorite thing about the show is that it has these tiny little interstitial moments So you'll have these big moments um, with the main characters and the lead is America Ferreira and she's fantastic in it. You have these big, you know, your classic kind of sitcom-y ABC plots. And the way it transitions in between those plots is that it has these little tiny interstitial scenes where someone you've never seen before, some extra, is just doing something in the store. (laughs) And it's always... Super dumb and super plausible. Like, you know, someone has done this in a Walmart (laughs) somewhere. They tend to be like a mother abandoning her baby in like one of the cribs and just wandering away to like go try on clothes in the other section or somebody, um, you know, tipping out an entire jar of pretzels on the floor and then just carefully backing away and hoping no one (laughs) saw it. That kind of a thing. There was an episode recently in a hospital and it was just two dudes walking through the hallway with big IV poles that they were trying to pull along. And as they walk past each other, that their IV poles get tangled and then they just try to untangle them. And they last like 10 seconds. But they point to how thoughtful and how observant this show is just about human nature and what a good humor it has about it, but also the like just humanity underneath underneath all of those things. So please don't watch Will and Grace and watch Superstore <laughs> instead. Um for my plug, uh, the opposite of Superstore on the other side of Will and Grace is The Newsroom, which no one should ever watch. But if, <laughs> but if for some reason you're like trying to work that out of your system, I don't know why you would be. But um, on my podcast that I do with my two friends, Margaret Willison and Andrew Cunningham, uh, it's called Appointment Television. And for some reason, we idiots decided to rewatch the first season of The Newsroom oh, and like no. work through our feelings about that. And Catherine. it was a terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible choice for us. And what we need is for people to listen to those episodes <laughs> to make that sacrifice worth it. So uh, I can't promise that that's going to make you feel any better than it made us feel to watch those episodes. But we sure do yell about them a lot. So uh, we should also say people can find your writing at Vulture.com and we will link ah, to both of yes. those in the uh, in the show notes. Yes, that's true. Also, I write for Vulture. OK, thank you. Woo. All right. I got a bunch of things to get through. I got a couple of things. First one is a show called The Shiv- Shivering Truth which uh, John H. forced me to watch. Anybody else watch this on the panel? I'd never even never heard, heard of, of this. Never heard of no. it. Well, it's one of those Adult Swim shows, so you're forgiven because like, they uh. premiere 12 of them a day and then they disappear. <laughs> At um, four in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this one is uh, a little different 
there was a period where I just gave up on Adult Swim because each show was just basically, you know, made for and by complete stoners and then seeing how far they could go along that spectrum. And it got really like, this is like five years ago. There was like, what was it? It was like, there's like one about a mouse and it was just, it was terrible. Anyways, I forget. Yeah. The <laughs> um, but this one is a little different. Um, it was made by one of those aforementioned shows. Uh, the guy made Xavier uh, Renegade Angel, which came out around the time of Frisky Dingo. So I remember giving it a shot just because we were still on our Frisky Dingo high. And we thought, oh, Adult Swim finally figured it out. They're making shows for me. <laughs> and then I watched Xavier Renegade Angel. I was like, nope, not for me. Um, it's by the same guy, but it's quite different. Um, it's a stop motion animation and it's really well done. The production values are, are really great. And it's sort of like a stream of consciousness via the twilight zone that never resolves itself. So it's just all this weird stuff, sort of like pop philosophical stream of consciousness stuff. I, I don't really want to describe the actual events of the episode because they're you, know, you just kind of have to watch that part of it but it's sort of like it has an element of the butterfly effect in it you know and it has um do you know this do, do you know who joe frank is the radio dude no oh uh, no. he was like an 80s i think he stopped broadcasting in the 90s but um he had a public access show for a while at the same time yeah, that i did so yeah then. strange tales so it's yeah. just sort of a it, it's very much in that vain um elliot uh not elliot <laughs> dana gould uh did a podcast about this guy a little while ago and if you just want to if 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 just sort of like the weird stream of consciousness kind of meets kafka and twilight zone at the same time that's where this this lives and it's a it's also a little like horror tinge too so it's got a lot of this going on and i watched the pilot and i after the pilot i was just like hmm I, I don't feel the need to watch another one, but I'm kind of like happy they did it because it's something very different and it's at least challenging versus a show like Stoner Incorporated and the kind of stuff they usually do. <laughs> so I, I'm happy they did it in so far to think that if they keep funding shows along that line, that they'll come up with something that is, you know, different and smart, but also funny which this isn't um so the shivering truth uh stop motion twilight zone stream of consciousness frank kafka if that sounds like an interesting mix you can watch the pilot right now it's been picked up to series i don't know how many they're making but the pilot is out there at adultswim.com you can watch that the second show that i was forced to watch was uh, one of the episodes of rake and you may remember rake from our very early uh, episode on this podcast with Adam Sternberg, where we called it Steak Face, the U.S. version, because of all the uh, <laughs> billboard ads with Greg Kinnear, he of PepsiCo with a uh, steak on his black eye. Uh, this is the original Australian version that he wanted me to watch. And uh, just so you know, I will be calling the lead character Rake, even though that is not his name. Um, should be. Definitely. But it isn't. Yeah. Like, it's not even like his last name is Rakelton or anything like that. It's just like, you know, <laughs> They, 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 they didn't want to go that yeah. <laughs> that deep. Um, so this shows a is a, it's supposed to be about this real dick of a character who um, is a lawyer, and that's you know that's that's the general premise, and you know, and, and he goes on his little 
jerk lawyer adventures. Uh, episode seven of the first season stars guest stars uh, Rachel Griffiths, uh, Academy Award winner nominee, and she's obviously doing somebody in her homeland of Australia a favor because she definitely did not need to do this episode of Rake. Doing somebody a solid. She guest stars as like a talk host, a uh, talk radio host who's railing against immigrants and her show spurs on some goons to beat on local Muslims. And she's hauled into court for inciting violence. And Rake eventually agrees to run her defense for her. And I feel like we've seen this storyline lots of times. I'm sure it's been on multiple law and orders um, and other shows. So I don't think there's anything new with the actual premise of the episode. And the main issue I had with Rake as a show based on this one episode is that Rake isn't ever really a good rake. So this is the seventh episode of the series, and he's a dick when the stakes are low, but not when being a rake would make him a genuine like asshat. So like he does drugs at work, but he wants to build on his relationship with his son. He's sleeping one off in his offices and he's stealing clothes from his coworkers, but he's quick to aid a code worker who's had a scare with local street toughs. So he's sort of a low stakes rake. Like, not that I want rake to be a total 24 seven tit, but <laughs> I sort of got rake, not rake whiplash watching this episode. And I think like a show like house does a good job of avoiding that. Like house wasn't evil, but he was always a cock. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, this true. show doesn't strike that balance. Like he just was able to turn the character can turn it off when it's an actual like this would make you a genuine bad person moment and that just didn't really play out for me in a compelling way uh some random thoughts the credits are terrible uh Mm -hmm. the best part of the episode is that apparently wherever they are in australia the police have eggplant colored pants and hats which is adorable and i don't know how the police get anything done there because you would just see these guys walking down the street and you know, Australia is sort of like um, uh, Sweden and the UK where they have those checkerboard elements to the police uniforms on their hats and stuff like that. So they basically look like like the crash test dummies circus is coming to town. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> um, and uh, and this isn't that old. And I at the end of the episode, I'm like, well, that's all in good. You know, that's the whole premise of the the talk radio thing. But nobody listens to radio enough anymore to actually incite this level of violence. Yeah, this in the episode's community. from 2010. Like yeah, it's, it's not, not like it's old, old. Well, yeah. So, uh, so Rake, uh, very popular in Australia for some reason, uh, did not translate here, and uh, I didn't really uh, like it that much either. The show that I really liked uh, on Netflix is a show called Bodyguard. Anybody else watch this? Yes, and I, I have feelings. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so th- this is a story of a UK equivalent of a secret service agent. He's an Afghani war that he's got PTSD and he's pulled into this power grab conspiracy when he's assigned to a cabinet member to be their bodyguard. And she sort of represents everything he stands against. It stars, um, Richard Madden, who was, uh, Rob Bubba Stark from Game of Thrones <laughs> And for me, I thought Bodyguard and Tar pointed it out at the time is that like it seemed on the same level as other UK shows we've watched, uh, State of Play, Secret State, 
It's one of those sort of solid, relatively fat-free British thrillers. Uh, very binge-worthy. On an even keel, except for the last episode that felt like it was infected by Luther. Um, yeah. <laughs> very Luther-esque. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, I will say this reminded me of one of my most devastating moments in my life is the day I realized that British people weren't calling women in authority mom, <laughs> but they were saying ma'am. Yeah. For some reason, yeah. that was so endearing to me that they would call, you know, these women, uh, you know, in power mom. Uh, and then they were actually saying, ma'am, I was so sad. Like Britain just like became so serious after I thought, yeah. no, I thought it was like this. <laughs> but Catherine, your thoughts, you watched it. Oh, yes. I, I certainly echo your sense that it's like, it definitely feels like just a solid UK police thriller. Yeah. Um, I have watched uh, some of Line of Duty, which is by the same oh, yeah. producing team that mm -hmm. made Bodyguard. And it definitely has some of that in its DNA, like. They know what they're doing. They know how to execute a show like this. And I think Bodyguard, for me, particularly within the first three episodes, was like a, an even better version of some of those shows. It felt like the tension was really successfully ratcheted up. It felt like they were doing some really interesting gender politics things. Mm -hmm. I'm particularly enamored of the opening scene of the first episode where Richard Madden, Madden is on a train and he is surrounded by... Uh, he's there, he discovers that there's a bomb that somebody's going to uh, suicide bomber and he's trying to defuse this whole situation and just low key without anyone ever mentioning it. Every other person in power in that scene, every single person is a woman. So it's Richard Madden. And then the suicide bomber turns out to be a woman. The police person who's running the whole show is a, is a woman. The like um, person who's going to come and, and dismantle the bomb is a woman. And they, that just becomes I was just blown away watching it like, oh, this is how men feel like everyone's just generally a man all the time on TV. Wow, that's wild. And then it really becomes part of the the thematic interest of what happens in the show. Mm -hmm. I don't want to spoil it because I do think it's worth watching and I really recommend it for people. If you think you're going to like this kind of show, you're going to like it yeah. like yeah. It, that. It just is exact kind of show. Um but I got really, really angry at a twist, a very major twist that happens halfway through the season. Ooh, you can and tell us after like, we're done. Uh, yeah. Make a note it, here to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like they had all this potential and then it just, they did not play it the way that I wanted it to. And so it felt like the last three episodes were just this thing where I was constantly waiting for them to undo the twist that they had did, done and they never did it. Hmm. Um, so... There And I wrote a piece about that on Vulture, so you can go read it uh, if you would like to know more about uh, my anger, anger thoughts <laughs> on that. But um, but yeah, no, I, I think uh, it's well done, except for that twist. And then also the, the last episode does fall apart a tiny bit. Yeah. But I think super satisfying if this is your general sort of thing. Yeah. I will say in terms of twistiness, if you're a veteran of Brone Brune or The Tunnel... <laughs> Like, I was definitely waiting for more crazy shit to happen. It's a, it's more of a, a realistic slow burn than any mm -hmm. of those where it's like every episode is making you think some totally different person that you may have did, may, maybe did it. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was good, too. Yeah. 
All right, it is time for the canon. Now we have a submission today. It's Utlander. Grab your smelling salts, fellow middle-aged ladies. I'm here to nominate to the canon season one, episode seven of Outlander. Excuse me, Utlander. <laughs> the wedding. a girl. Yes, the wedding. And let's just get this out of the way. This episode is canon worthy simply on the basis of Sam Hewen's epic world-class naked bum. But I'm going to ascend above the lascivious to argue that Outlander in general, and this episode specifically, revolutionizes the way sex and female desire are portrayed on TV. The wedding is as explicit as your average HBO Sunday night drama, but the sex serves a function to strengthen the bonds of this new relationship. The episode has humor, intrigue, and genuine human connection. Also, did I mention Sam Hewen's perfect ass? Outlander is the story of Claire Beecham Randall, a plucky British nurse who, while vacationing in Scotland with her husband Frank at the end of World War II, falls through a mysterious stone and winds up in 1743. Don't worry too much about how that happens. The show doesn't really care, and neither should you. Claire winds up lost in the woods 200 years away from home and is kind of kidnapped and kind of saved by a group of Scottish Highlanders from the clan Mackenzie. They take her to their castle where she adjusts to life in the time of corsets, outhouses, and rigid gender roles while trying to figure out how the hell to get home. Along the way, she strikes up a flirty friendship with Jamie Alexander Malcolm Mackenzie Fraser, the strapping red-haired nephew of the Mackenzie patriarch, who's clearly smitten with her from the moment she snaps his dislocated shoulder back into place. She also meets her nemesis, the British soldier and savage sadist Blackjack Randall, who just happens to be an ancestor of and dead ringer for her husband Frank. Through various plot machinations, she's forced to marry Jamie in order to avoid being taken into custody by rapey Blackjack and his battalion of English enablers. The episode opens with an actual song with actual lyrics that set the dreamy mood. Look, I am not a crackpot, but more opening credits could use bagpipes. And then, <laughs> surprise, we aren't in 1743. It's a flashback, but actually forward? Ah, whatever. Flash to the 1940s. Frank impulsively proposes to Claire on the street. She is surprised and delighted. They kiss, and just when you start to be taken in by the perfection of her jaunty hat. Seriously, Katrina Baff can wear clothes. Bam, we're back in 1743, and now she's kissing Jamie. As they pull away from each other, we see a crowd clapping for the now newlywed couple. Jamie looks smitten. Claire? Not so much. Girl. Cut to after the wedding, Jamie joins Claire in the bedroom where they'll spend their wedding night and will spend much of the episode. In the background are the sounds of the rollicking party downstairs, which will keep rolling until the marriage is consummated. Claire's resting bitch face is in full effect as she contemplates her situation. She's a newly minted bigamist, married to a man she may never see again, and now one she also hardly knows, who has no idea that she's actually a time traveler from 200 years in the future. Awkward. Jamie works hard to make the best of the situation in clip one. Perhaps a drink? Aye. Uh, to a, a lady of grace. A uh, woman of strength and a bride of astonishing beauty. My wife. Claire Frazier. They decide to cope with things by drinking a lot. Claire demands to know why Jamie agreed to marry her, and we're reminded of the real peril Claire is in, not only from rapey Blackjack, but from pretty rapey Dougal Mackenzie, who's ostensibly protecting her. So you married me to keep me safe, asks Claire, visibly softening, and Jamie responds with the declaration in clip two. Hey, yeah, that's the gist of it.
Now you have my name, my clan, my family, and if necessary, the protection of my body as well. Mm-hmm. She comes closer and sits down next to him on the bed. There's a steamy amount of tension. They're getting ready to kiss. He leans in and at the last minute, denied, as Claire asks him about his family. The deep breath and little giggle that Sam Hewen does at that moment are priceless. He is just so damn charming. Jamie's storytelling talents start to win Claire over when they're interrupted by Angus and Rupert in clip three, who've been sent to check on the evening's (coughs) progress. Don't you just stand back, you coof. Oh, well, I wasn't going to punch around outside the door, was I? Waiting for them to answer. Come on, Dean. Like we were just coming by for a nice cup of tea. You just, what are you doing? Ah, Doodle sent us up to see if you'd, uh... Again? Now, who's the coof? You've still got their clothes on. Get out. You can still do it with your clothes. Well, I know that, but not on your wedding night. That's a shot. Oh, I was just hoping to get her a winky car at your brief. Jamie kicks them out, and Claire suggests that it's time to go to bed. To bed or to sleep? questions Jamie, and from the look Claire shoots back, it's clear that the whiskey, conversation, and hot man thighs have convinced her to make this marriage official. Jamie starts to peel Claire out of her 800 layers, and the anticipation is killer. You've never seen sexy until you've seen Sam Hewen untie a choker. The chemistry between these... AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet. And I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad. So let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W dot com and use promo code E-H-G for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now. Two actors is incredible. How did you learn to kiss like that? I was a virgin. No monk. Funny guidance. I'll ask. Finally, after six and a half episodes of build-up, they have about five seconds of pretty unremarkable sex. Wah-wah. Jamie reveals that he was surprised they did it face-to-face and asks the awkward virgin question, was I any good? No, Jamie, no. But apparently Claire liked it, and she's got a lot to teach you. Just wait. Claire heads out to get some food and wallow in her guilt about cheating on Frank and is greeted by cheers from the party below. 
She ducks back in the room while Jamie takes a victory lap through the boisterous crowd. He's heading back upstairs with a plate of food when he's stopped by a growly and again pretty rapey Dougal McKenzie, who reminds him ominously to be grateful. Back in the room, Claire and Jamie continue to bond. She initially recoils from his touch, but he draws her back in with some smoldering Gallic compliments. We see a series of flashbacks that show us how seriously Jamie is taking both the wedding and the marriage. We see his uncle Murtaugh giving his blessing. We see Dougal arranging a church and a priest through good old-fashioned threats and bribery. We see Rupert and Angus having a key made into a wedding ring. And we see Ned scouring the local whorehouse to find both a wedding dress and a wedding date. While all this was happening, Claire was busy drinking herself into a stupor and doesn't remember much. Luckily, Jamie remembers everything, and through his retelling, we finally get to see the wedding from start to finish. They meet outside the church, bathed in glowing light, both with wispy tendrils and looking gorgeous. He in full Scottish regalia and she in the dress rescued from the whorehouse, which strangles her boobs in historically accurate fashion, but otherwise is a gorgeous embroidered silver creation. They enter the candlelit church, make their vows, and despite Claire's obvious reluctance and feelings of guilt and shame, it's dreamily romantic. Then they slice each other's wrists with a sword, their hands are bound together, and we're back to the kiss that started the episode. Jamie's retelling of the day's events gets Claire back in the mood, and she asks Jamie to take off his shirt. She wants to look at him. And listeners, we've already established the canon worthiness of Sam Hewen's perfect Adonis body, but this scene is also totally amazing for making Claire unapologetically sexual. This is a scene that respects and elevates the female gaze, and it's totally hot. Consummation round two is much more successful than round one, as Claire teaches Jamie about female orgasms and the wonders of oral sex. Is this straight-up softcore? Yes. Is it awesome and sexy and believable? Also yes. Claire heads downstairs for a postcoital snack and runs into pretty rapey Dougal McKenzie, who reports that he's worked things out with rapey Blackjack Randall and lets Claire know that he still wants her, reminding us that in 1743, she will never really be safe. Clip five. You're out late? Aye. I'm just back from seeing Captain Randall. Shared with him the happy news that you're no longer at his beck and call. What does he say? There are likely limits even to your tolerance of foul language. I don't suppose he means to take any further steps about it. I shouldn't think so. He's got more important things to worry about than chasing after one stray Sassanach, no matter how pretty. He's got better sense than to rile Colin by kidnapping his nephew's wife. That's comforting to know. I commend you for doing your duty. But it needn't stop you from sampling other pleasures. I find you to be the most singular woman, Claire. And Jamie's wife. Back to the room for some pensive fire watching. Jamie wakes up and presents her with his wedding gift, a pearl necklace. Ew, you guys. I mean a real scotch pearl necklace that belonged to Jamie's mother. We head into Bonathon round three, which is tender and pearl-draped and, again, totally hot. The next morning, rumpled sheets and sex hair abound. Jamie heads down to breakfast, and Claire picks up her dress in what falls to the floor? Her other wedding ring. Remember, Frank? Original recipe husband? The episode begins... The episode ends with Claire staring dramatically at the wedding rings on both her hands, while the flute of bigamy plays a mournful tune. (laughs) Jamie is a totally unreal fantasy figure, a gorgeous, strong man who's incredibly woke for 1743 and lives to give you multiple orgasms while tending to your emotional needs. But Ewan gives this romantic fantasy a heart and humanity that keeps him from being totally unbelievable. 
and Katrina Baff's Claire is a satisfyingly complicated character. This episode captures their dimensions while establishing the sexual and emotional bond that will hold them together through some really wild and sometimes ludicrous events in the coming years. Throughout its three seasons, Outlanders had its ups and downs, but it remains what I think is one of the most underrated dramas on TV. It has all the kilts and butts of a run-of-the-mill bodice ripper, but it manages to be so much more. It's sincere, gorgeous, heartfelt, poignant, often ridiculous, and actually a really interesting look into the history of the Scottish Highlands. I hope that you, dear panel, are as swayed by its charms as I am, and invite the wedding to join you in the marital bed that is the extra hot great canon. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, that was from you Megan. You had me, and then you lost me. <laughs> Sorry, it's from who, Dave? Uh, that was from Megan. Thank you, Megan. Okay, uh, Tara, Megan. you've watched Outlander the most out of uh, our panel. Uh, oh, no. no I, well, I was going to say, Catherine should go first because she picked it from the list of submissions. So I was going to yeah, qualify sorry, that sorry. remark, but yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay. okay. <laughs> I was like, no, no, you must know that I watched this show. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, I picked it because I also love this episode. Um, and I think that was a really fantastic summary particularly about the sex stuff about what makes this an interesting episode of television there's been quite a lot of good writing also about the way that they have the way that they shoot the sex scenes on this show um so that they are very specifically from uh the perspective of female pleasure which you would think shouldn't have to be that rare on television <laughs> and yet um so that element of it is it probably the most notable thing about it. And certainly I enjoyed watching this episode again, but there are other elements of it that I think um, make it stand out just as an outlander episode. <coughs> Outlander. Um, it does this back and forth timeline thing that she was describing that is very effective, but it's also maybe the most romantic moment on the show for the behind the scenes romance inside of this series, which I love very, very dearly, which is that showrunner Ronald Moore is married to the costume designer, Terry Dresbach. Oh, of the show. that's interesting. And they're they're <laughs> deeply, romantically, passionately in love with each other. And one of the featured elements of this episode is this wedding dress that Claire sort of stumbles into like one of Jamie's conditions for marrying her is that they find her an actually nice dress to wear. And the way that they shoot this gorgeous, like silver tree leaf falling motif dress that they have her in where they take this cloak off of her and the sun just comes onto it. And every time I see that it's not just this beautiful moment between these two characters, but it is Ron Moore being like, my <laughs> wife made this dress, you guys. Isn't it so Aww. good? I know it's so sweet. And um, and I feel like it's a show that stumbles pretty regularly, but it never actually goes totally off for me. And part of it is because it just does, it is so sincere and so sweet about the relationships between these characters. And in my head, at least, and in my heart, it's because Ron and Terry have this, <laughs> this romantic feeling about the show because they are connected to it in that, in that way. So for me, that's what this episode is. I love it. All right. Well, should I go next or should I go last? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think it's important that Megan kept highlighting how rapey the show has been up to this yeah. point. And, and so that we can tell this is, this is a very thoughtfully and consciously different 
um, portrayal of sex. Like basically someone has at least one person has threatened to rape Claire in every episode, including this one. Um, so it, it is important that, um, that sex be reconfigured in this, in this way. And that the moment actually is romantic. I, I find the whole thing of like her conflict about being a bigamist kind of dumb. <laughs> this is the, this is the part of the episode that rings most false to me because I, I don't think you can really feel that guilty about cheating on a husband that is not going to be born for another, like almost 200 years. Um, and you know, it would make more sense to me if she were, if, if, if the apprehension she was feeling was about like, what's going to happen to her next in this like very, uh, dicey political situation. But by the same token, I also like this episode because the politics and all the battle and plotting and scheming stuff is in the background. And cause to me, that's one of the less interesting aspects of the show. Um, certainly Megan is right that Sam Hewn's butt is very impressive and the camera loves it. Um, what's not to love. Uh, but at the same time, it's hard for me to watch this without thinking, Oh, everyone would smell so bad. I mean, I guess at, <laughs> at a certain point, if everyone smells bad, you don't smell any individual person. But I also was like that. Plus, um, when she's walking around, like she goes downstairs to get something to eat in bare feet. I'm like, she would be so cold. I thought the same thing through like so many scenes of the haunting of Hill House, too, where it's like everyone in this house needs to get some slippers pronto. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is a great presentation. This is clearly a turning point um, for the series. And uh, it was it was good to revisit it, but also embarrassing because this was the first full episode that Dave watched. So with oh, that transition, boy. why don't we throw it to Dave, who had to cover our dog's eyes at various points because she was snuggled <laughs> up against him. Here's what I tell you about Ootlander based on this one episode I watched. Ootlander is a story of a one-shot Scott to Thylander in one night. Uh, I mean, this this episode is kind of exactly what I thought this show was. Yeah. Yep. I'm a little, not disappointed, but maybe that is not this every episode that's basically just, you know, a bodice novel, you know, in a in a TV show every week. Um, there was a lot of it. It's pretty much. Is it? All right. Yeah. It's it's closer than you'd think. Yeah. 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 Um, there's no denying that everybody who needs to be sexy on the show is very sexy. Uh, <laughs> even a back uh, full of scars is somehow sexy on this show. So well done, Ootlander. Um, weird moment with having sex with his mom's pearl necklace on. Uh, yeah. Claire, is it? Yeah. Claire. Yes. Too many Claire's also, in this it's episode. a pearl necklace. Sorry. Yeah, it's yeah, put uh, the toothpaste back in the tube, as it were. Yeah. Ooh, um, but yeah, um, the sexual education of Jamie, the episode, uh, you know, is, is well done. <laughs> and as you were saying, you know, uh, sex and seduction from a female point of view uh, is is rare. So it was interesting to see, especially in something set in this time period, which obviously makes it, you know, even more of a oh, liar um, ah. in that regard. <laughs> uh, I did enjoy it. Um, I didn't really understand what was going on with uh, evil. Uh, what's this guy? Thomas Dougal McKenzie. No, the 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 English guy. 
Oh, Blackjack. Also in this one. Blackjack. Yeah, yeah Blackjack. Blackjack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I really needed to, to, you know, for this episode. But um, I also really enjoyed Ben Franklin's uh, turn in this as the guy who goes to the whorehouse and picks up the <laughs> yes. dress. That was very amusing. Uh, I thought that scene was uh, very cute. Um, but yeah, it was a well put together yeah, well put together episode, and uh, it. Uh, I get it. Let's l- let me say that. Not my <laughs> yeah. thing, but I totally get it, guys. Yeah, Sarah. Um, I mean, I guess I get it. Let's back up here to the fact that I have um, contractors in the house uh, right now and have had for a week or so, and um, so there's like hammering going on at various times (laughs) so i have the volume turned up uh in my office watching this Mm -hmm. you could probably figure out where this is going that's correct Mm -hmm. all drilling stops moaning has not stopped Mm -hmm. and uh then i'm called downstairs to i don't know (laughs) look at a like literally to look at a coupling for a sink and i'm like (laughs) okay (laughs) little on the nose day um this, I mean, I just have no context for this. I've never seen an episode of Oodlander before. And um, if there's this much butts, I guess I'm not going to object to watching another one. But this is like, uh, I don't know, like, the, you know, t- it's a period piece, but in a period that smelled like dirty hair. Um, plus, it's a bodice ripper. And both of those things are not me so this presentation was delightful um i think that this show for people who have who watch it regularly is delightful i like i get it but at the same time i don't get it if that makes any sense sure Um, so yeah but if we were voting butts into the canon absolutely (laughs) (laughs) oh can i say something about uh the bodice cleavage it is so off-putting guys yeah but as she says little... that is historically accurate oh i it know is. it is but i'm just saying like like in the so far it actually flips the script on your breasts and it's like dangerous liaisons out just looking at it it's like yeah. i can't no mm-hmm. yeah but it actually like literally flips your breasts and they're actually going up the other way it looks so painful <laughs> and terrible and makes you just like well i'm i guess i'm done with breasts Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Press. All right. <laughs> with, uh, with that, I think it's time to put this uh, the official vote. We started with Catherine. Catherine, what say you? Canon worthy? I say yes. Yes. Tari Ariana. Me too. Yeah, I think so too. I'm a friend of I'm a friend of the ladies. I want you guys to have this. <laughs> and I enjoyed it. You know, like you know, it was it was it was it was sexy. Sure. And uh Sarah, what say you? Uh I'm gonna say no, but congratulations everyone. <laughs> Yay butts! Yeah! Butts! Butts, 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 butts. All right, that means Oolander Season 1, Episode 7, The Wedding. You're hereby inducted into the Extra Hot Great and Butt Cannon. Americans love a winner. Yup. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. All right. It is time for a winner and loser of the week. Sarah has the winner. I sure do. It's Julianne Huff who will play Jolene in Netflix's Dolly Parton anthology series. That's probably the 
that's probably the one role that everyone has heard of and that you would want versus little Andy, who <laughs> doesn't go well for little Andy. So, yeah, that's my winner. Okay, loser. Uh, well, I have a, I have a runner-up loser. Um, <laughs> Alec Baldwin was arrested last week for getting into a physical altercation with someone over a parking space he was trying to save on the street in New York, which <laughs> not something that you can do. Um, and uh, <laughs> but the winner out of this was um, <laughs> obviously both the New York Post and the Daily News put this on the on their front page. Uh, the New York Post, which normally wins the punny jokes, went with livid from New York. It's Alec Baldwin, uh. which that's not how that line goes. It's Saturday night. It's not you don't say the person's name. Whereas the New York Daily News went with sweaty brawl winner. <laughs> winner. We're all winners. That's pretty but good. The, the real winner. Uh, sorry. The real loser of the week. And this is with an assist from Catherine is Kevin James, because um uh, Rashida Jones and her writing partner, Will McCormack, uh, have, are developing a sitcom for AMC called Kevin Can Fuck Himself. Just a working title, but kind of a noisy one, uh, which is told, as TV Line puts it, from the POV of the sadly stereotypical TV sitcom wife who must forever put up with her disproportionately schlubby goofball husband or to harken back to a 30 Rock line. Instead of losing a push-up contest to Julie Bowen to see who gets to play Kevin James' mean wife, who he's sick of having sex with, finally, a show from the perspective of that character. I think it's a great idea. Um, but yeah, bad, bad news for Kevin James. I'm sure that title will change, but it's still pretty clear that's who they're thinking of. <laughs> this leads yeah. me to a question. Do you know what time it is? It's not regulation game time. That's correct. <laughs> We are between seasons, which means Dave gets to play a game for okay. non-regulation purposes. Um, and this game is called Promotional Considerations. So it's a game about commercials that were created to be part of a storyline within a TV show. So these are going to be clips, and they run the gamut from fully produced commercials that we see the characters watch, to promos for other series in the show's universe, to commercial auditions, to infomercials. Sometimes for real brands that exist in our world, but the ads for them did not, to the best of my knowledge, run outside the context of the TV episode in which they appear. So I'll play you a clip, or rather Dave will. And for one point, you tell me what show the clip is from. There are no hints. Uh, and I will say, no show appears in the game more than once. These are all shows that I watch or have watched, as I, I know that's not much of a, of a hint, but still, yeah. it is true. <laughs> oh, those. <laughs> um, so we've got 33 questions and a tiebreaker. Before we throw it to Picky, does anyone have questions? Seems straightforward. I'm going to suck at this. Yeah, all let's right. Go. Let's throw it to Picky to see who goes first. We will start with David. That's me. Okay. David. So, David, we'll go first, then Catherine, then Sarah. Are you ready to play promotional consideration? Yes. Yes. Sure. Okay. Dave, please play clip one for you. Bladder trouble. It's embarrassing. It's uncomfortable. And it can affect anyone. I'm going to the bathroom right now. Neat and discreet adult diapers for anyone. Say, ah. Uh... I have no idea. Um, 
boy. Um, no, nothing. Can't place it. I figure we'll not do steel meals because it's non-regulation, but does anyone know? No. My guess would have been 30 Rock, but I don't, I don't know. No, it's How I Met Your Mother. That, that <gasps> was Robin in the ad. Oh, sure. All right. Please play clip two for Catherine. So this Mother's Day, don't give mom that bottle of perfume. Give her something that says, I'm not a woman anymore. I'm a mom. Get a free applique mom jeans vest with every purchase this weekend at JCPenney. SNL? Correct. Ding, 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 ding. Please play clip three. This is for Sarah. We pull out the basket and we dig into some hot son of a bitch. Oh, look what you did! Oh, you popped it! Oh, you with you, you mincing! Oh. <laughs> oh god! Uh, kids in the hall. That is Arrested Development. It's the infomercial for the cornball. Oh yeah! Oh right! All right, please play clip four. This is for Dave. My furniture is so nice. When you see it, you'll pop. My selection is so wide, you'll go off your rocker. And my prices are so low, you'll go eight. Precisely. Cut. Uh, that is Mr. Key from Detroiters. Ding, ding, ding. Correct. Please play clip five for, for Catherine. I think it's time you learned a lesson about Lightspeed brand briefs. Lightspeed fits today's active lifestyle, whether you're on the job or having fun. Lightspeed briefs, style and comfort for the discriminating crotch. Oh, oh I have no idea. Eh. I know. Dave knows. That's uh, Futurama. Correct. It uh, is Futurama. Sure, sure, sure. All right, please play clip six for Sarah. Hi, I'm Dave Rose, and this is my truck. Stake me home tonight. <laughs> Here at Stake Me Home, tonight we only use the finest ingredients. And if you happen to be browsing the internet, visit my worldwide web address. And if you like sandwiches and you love taste, then Stake Me Home tonight. Thank you, Picky. That's happy endings. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Correct. Dave, please play clip seven for you. What are you waiting for? Spread it. Indulge. Ask yourself, when was the last time you were truly happy? Crazy ex-girlfriend. Ding, ding. Correct. For Catherine, clip eight. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Amazing Discovery. Ah! Oh, oh, my God, again. You guys, please don't watch this. I don't... Folks, this ever happened to you? You go in the refrigerator to get a nice glass of milk, but these darn cartons are so flinging, flanging hard to open. Well, you said it, Mike. I don't... Oh, <laughs> There's got to be a better way. And there is, Kevin. Friends. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Correct. <laughs> Please play clip nine for Sarah. 
What's up, y'all? Bill McNeil saying there's a party all up in here and you need to get with the flow. Oh, yeah, Rocket Fuel Malt Liquor's got the heavyweight power, whether you got the EOTs to rip it up to some fat booty beats or just chill with the honeys. So get on the rocket and see the stars. Rocket Fuel Malt Liquor. Damn! News Radio. Ding, 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 ding. Correct. It's Chris It is Chris Appy. Dave, please play Clipped In for yourself. Oh, hi. I was just enjoying my lifestyle, like I do every day, here in my living woods. Mmm, Parmesan absinthe. As a celebrity, my life is filled with luxury items, hand-selected jewelry, and the illusion of free time. If you're like me, and I am. You're a unique individual who wants to be just like Stephen Colbert. And that means more than just looking like the great Gatsby threw up on you. To help people like us, I founded my new company, Coveton House. All right, you got a 50-50 chance of getting this one right. I'm pretty sure that's from the Colbert Report. Uh, it is not. Really? No, what it's was from... the one in Colbert Report? It was like his luxury brand. I don't know, but this is from Late Night with Stephen Colbert. Uh, Sorry. Okay, clip 11 is for Catherine. Abraham Lincoln. Honest Abe. Or so we'd have you believe. Last year, Abe said he was 15 years old. Now he claims to be 16. Which is it, Abe? Better keep your story straight. He'd also like you to believe he's not a baby eater. But he's never gone on record saying he isn't. Maybe he's too busy eating babies. I can't wait to eat this. Baby? Baby? <laughs> When's it gonna stop, Abe? Not voting for Abe. It just makes sense. How did JFK get my spaghetti video? <laughs> JFK would like to thank Joan of Arc for her help on this ad. So. Is that, is that The Simpsons? <laughs> oh. No. No, I don't watch any of those shows. Okay, <laughs> Sarah or Dave? I uh, think it's Clone High. (laughs) Correct. It is Clone High. Okay. Clip 12 is for Sarah, and then we'll do a score break. Bobby Newport's been handed everything on a silver platter. His cushy job at his dad's candy company? Handed to him. His 60-foot boat, Bobby's boat? Handed to him when he was 12. Leslie Nope is running for city council, too, and she's earned everything she's ever gotten. Ah, Bobby Newport wants you to just hand him this election. Don't. I won't. Is this Parks and Recreation? Ding, ding, ding. It is. All right. Score bait, please. Very close game. David and Catherine both have two points, and I have three points. Woo! Let's see how things change in the next crunch. <laughs> it won't Crush. take much. Crush me. <laughs> Dave, please play clip 13 and then tell me where it's from. Trident gum is chewy as gum. Give it to your friends and chew it with your teeth. Your teeth are bones that live outside. They hang from your lips like bats. Oh, outside bones, outside bones. Never forget teeth, outside bones. The bones that you wash, and when you're a kid, they fall from your head. And to make things less weird, we say they got stolen by a demon that your parents know. Trident. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. 
Greg. Oh my god, that's funny. Hangs in your mouth like bats. Like this may have been the the inspiration for this game. That that clip, and I may have built the rest of it around it. So I'm glad you got it right. All right, clip 14 is for Catherine. Dollar forty nine, but the price on the can though. The price is on the can though. Mm. Oh, I have no idea. That one is you either know it or you don't. For sure, there's not a lot of data there. Dave, I have no idea. Oh, I thought you would know. That's from Atlanta. Oh, sure. Oh. Yep. Yep. Clip fifteen is for Sarah. You like good food, good fun, and a whole lot of crazy crap on the walls? Then come on down to Uncle Mo's Family Feed Bag. At Mo's, we serve good old-fashioned home cooking. Deep fried to perfection. Now that's Mo like it. So bring the whole family, mom, dad, kids, and no old people. They're not covered by our insurance. It's fun. And remember our guarantee. If I'm not smiling when your check comes, your meal's on me. Uncle Mo. Come to Uncle Mo's for family fun. It's good, 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 good. The Simpsons. Correct. Ding, ding, ding. Dave, clip 16 is for you. Imagine my horror when a night on the town turned ugly. This is a nice place for nice people. And the jerk behind the bar, he throws a bowl of nuts at me. What am I, a squirrel? Well, lucky for him, I bring my own wherever I go. Am I crazy? I don't think so. Just you try and stick your face into a can of nuts. Take it from the nut. Lots are better than nuts. Don't cut. No, I want to do that again. Uh, is it Mad Men? Yeah. Yes. Oh, nice. <laughs> Good job, Dave. Clip 17 is for Catherine. It's pretty cool. Over at Chicken for Days, they pump their chickens full of hormones and keep them cooped up in tiny cages. Now, as a chicken, this concerns me. Here at Gentle Farms, we treat our livestock differently. Lush fields, plenty of dignity, and foosball. (laughs) The chickens here have wonderful lives before we harvest them so you can eat them. But wait, Pa, aren't we chickens? Boy, these animals aren't like us. They're specifically bred to be eaten and genetically modified for maximum flavor. When our chicks are first hatched, we lovingly inject them with natural delicious hormones, which makes the meat, thereby erasing any moral gray area. Now you can feel good about eating our meat. It's simple. No one knows chicken like chickens. Chicken Falls. They're not animals like us. It's Bojack. Yes. Yeah. Hey, ding, ding, ding. When you said you didn't watch any of those shows, I was like, just that one. That's the only okay, one yeah. I watch. If you like weird stories see? about chickens, uh, check out the comic book Chew. It is uh-huh. really fucked up and it revolves okay. around chickens and the destruction of Earth. Okay. All right. That's terrible. Yeah. This is for Sarah Clip 18. Night. 
Versus Christoph Milnyarkovic. Ready to play. In a Barnett Cup semi-final. In a what? Got my long hair in my trunk, not an ocean inside. So kiss my ass, New York, cause it's tennis night. Hey ho! No idea. <laughs> oh, <so>. Dave. <laughs> uh, that's uh, Jenna Maroney from Thirty Rock. Yes, appealing to real America. All right, clip nineteen is for Dave. I had a good job until my boss accused me of stealing. I better call Saul. I was out partying, minding my own business. You are under arrest. I'd better call Saul. Hi, I'm Saul Goodman. Did you know that you have rights? The Constitution says you do, and so do I. I believe that until proven guilty, Every man, woman, and child in this country is innocent. And that's why I fight for you, Albuquerque. Better call Saul. All right. I'm pretty sure that's from his first appearance on Breaking Bad. Yes, it is. (laughs) Well done, Dave. Way to not fall in a trap. Okay, clip 20 is for Catherine. I'm Guy Bilzerian, attorney at law and family man. But I will happily abandon my family to get you the divorce settlement you deserve. You might know me from my bench ads, my three delinquent sons, or my twice institutionalized wife. But I want you to know me as your first line of defense against bitch ex-wives and asshole ex-husbands. Because I play both sides of the coin. It's the law, not magic. And anyone who does magic is a disappointment to his father. Call me today because Marriage is a sham and love dies. Let's, Let's bury the body together. Jay, keep rolling. No idea. <laughs> Sarah might know this one. It was recently yeah. watched. Uh, no. I mean, uh, big voices sound familiar, but I don't big know. Big mouth. It is. It is yeah, big it's mouth. big mouth. Yeah. See, the, Bojack's the only one I watch. <laughs> big mouth is Bojack adjacent. I think you yeah, enjoy I know. it. I just haven't had time. Yeah. I haven't had time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, clip 21 is for Sarah. Viridian Dynamics. Diversity. Just the thought of it makes these white people smile. We believe everyone works best when they work together, even if they're just standing around. Just like we enjoy varieties of foods, we enjoy varieties of people even though we can't eat them. At Viridian Dynamics, we're committed to a multi-ethnic workplace. You can shake on it. Viridian Dynamics. Diversity. Good for us. I know it. I don't. (laughs) Sorry. All right, Catherine, what is it? Better off Ted. Correct. You know, I don't get too upset about shows being canceled because, you know, that's biz. That's the world. Yeah. But that one one hurt. That one hurt me personally. It was such a clever show. It was really ahead of its time, too. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, All right. Clip 22 is for Dave. We only use the freshest ingredients and we grind our meat right here. Mm, That's a 10-yard penalty for unnecessary deliciousness. Hey, you're NFL great Sandy Can-Can Fry. And you're Bob. Come see me here after the Super Bowl. He'll give you the best burger you've ever had and I'll give you a high five. Archer. No, Bob's burger. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry? 
Bob's Burgers. Correct. That is Bob's Burgers. Clip 23 is for Catherine. Attention catheter patients. Hi, me again. I'm a professional cowboy and I use catheters. Been cowboying for 25 years and there's two things I know. I don't like pain when I cath. And healthcare is a complicated business. Everybody knows that. Literally, everybody. Also, if my premiums go up and subsidies go down, I'm going to wind up paying more. That's basic math there, fella. That's like replacing my catheter with a garden hose. I don't want that. I do not like pain when I cath. The point is, if that happens, millions of folks like me might get real angry, which is worth thinking about if you're the sort of person who really likes being popular. You get that, right? Right? You get that. Right? Last week tonight. Yeah, catheter cowboy. Recently <laughs> was, seen on House of Cards. I was about to say, also in House of Cards. Yeah. All right, this one, clip 24, is for Sarah, and then we'll do a score break. Umeboshi. Now we need you to eat the product because I've never heard of a girl having a commercial and not tasting the product. Good luck, Sarah. Don't know. Sorry. Oh, what? Mm. Oh. It's got to be America's Next Top Model, yeah. right? Oh. Umaboshi, the pick oh, yeah. of the <laughs> Man, my Important brain moment. wasn't going to reality show at all. Oh. No, all mine right. either. Yeah. All, all right. right. It is time for a score break, yes? Yes. Uh, yes, it is. It is still a fairly close game. Uh, Catherine and I are tied with four, but Dave has taken the lead with six. Dave. All right. Let's keep it going. Clip 25 is for that very same Dave. You know, as a successful student, I realize the importance of proper study tool maintenance. And nothing is more important than that bedrock of learning, your desk. Now, if your desk is made out of wood, metal, or some space-age plastic, it doesn't matter. If it gets dirty, your papers will get dirty, too. Claret? It's not the way we rehearsed it. Just go with it. I'm on a roll. No, I know the voice, and I know I've seen it. But I can't place it. Can I play it again? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, as a successful student, I realize the importance of proper study tool maintenance. And nothing is more important than that bedrock of learning, your desk. Now, if your desk is made out of wood, metal, or some space-age plastic, it doesn't matter. If it gets dirty, your papers will get dirty, too. Claret? It's not the way no. we No. Just go with it. I'm on a roll. <sighs> no. Dave, no. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> I just... <laughs> uh, 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 God, no. God, I can't pull it. Oh, I'm gonna be... <laughs> Sarah? David! It's 90210. Oh, uh, Dave. I never... That... You know what? I don't think I would have got it. 
That you I never saw it, but you definitely from... have heard that clip before. That is not the clip I've heard that it, I thought you why, would pull from that either. I was trying to figure it out based on shows I watched. Oh. You know, so my brain would never go to Beverly Hills. All right. I don't feel that so hurt. bad on that one. Well, uh, this this may also be bad based on what we've learned about Catherine's TV habits, oh. but let's play oh. 20, clip 26 anyway. Behold the instrument of your doom. I call it the Annihilatrix. And when it is completed... A million gigatons of thrust will propel the Earth directly into the sun. So look upon my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Any anyone else? Aforementioned uh, Frisky Dingo. Yes. From a couple segments ago. The randomizer. It hurts. People really sometimes. tough one. Yeah, he really. Yeah, that that's that's a very extra hot, great, uh, you know. Yeah, roof, it is. roof, stoof. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's see if twenty seven is uh, is any better for Sarah. Bags, bags, bags. It always seems <laughs> like you've got too many bags. Help me! You can't just throw them away. Now there's new bag hutch. Bag hutch is specially made for bags and holds up to twelve bags. Honey. Where are all the bags? In the bag hutch. No shit. Bag hutch by Flitz, a division of Globo Camp. Take it from me. I love you. I don't know. I thought you might get it from the voice. <clears throat> no. Voice. What was it? Dave? Mr. Show. It is uh, Mr. Show. Oh, yeah. yes. Right. The bag hutch. Okay, clip 28 is is for Dave, and this is maybe one only he possibly could get. But let's see, Dave. Right. 28. 28. <laughs> the Mariana Trench. <laughs> Metalocalypse. Correct. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, clip 29 is for Catherine. Selma tells us how we Mandelbrot toy soldiers. Each headlines their own tentpole content on one of your eight daylight streams. But they started here, like you. Putting their back into giving back for a brighter now. Each paying their dues like you, hoping to become a hot shot. Pushing through the darkness, still another mile. That wasn't good. That was beyond incredible! Got it. It's Black Mirror. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Amazing. Good job. Wow. I <clears throat> could not pull that. That's well done. <gasps> Do you I remember which one? About how I hate that show. So yeah. No. It's um. <laughs> it's I can't remember the name of that episode, but it's it's the one with Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah. Right? Yes, and he's yes, like he's yeah with the bikes that he has to oh, ride yeah. for. Yeah. The yeah. Fifteen million one. credits. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Clip thirty is for Sarah. Shady gays believe in no fat, no femmes, and no Asians. As someone who is all up the above, 
I understand your pain. My name is Kimchi. And say hello to Yellow. <laughs> This ad was paid out of my own pocket because no one cares. Do you? <laughs> um, I am very interested to learn what it is, but I don't know. What? Oh, it, oh there's a giggle. There's a laugh in there that totally gives it away. Yeah. Is it RuPaul's Drag Race? Yes, it is. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Uh, mm, All right. <clears throat> you each have one question left. Let's do a final score break. Um, this final question doesn't really matter. I have four points. Catherine has five points, and Dave has seven points. But Dave. All right. Let's play the let's play the last three for funsies. Dave, please play clip thirty one for yourself. For a body that's firm yet flexible, for skin that begs to be touched, for the velvety appearance of actual living tissue. Top morticians rely on living splendor embalming fluid. Living splendor. Only real life is better. Ah, uh, six feet under. Yeah. Yeah. Total guess. Good job. I mean, educated guess, but yeah, yeah. I don't uh, remember that from the actual show. Okay. Uh, clip thirty-two is for Catherine. kind of a mean one if you don't know it but i don't i don't know what that is <laughs> dave or sarah uh-uh that's claus that's the ad from episode two uh, the season. Okay. Uh, oh yeah right the right, clinic right, right. The, the clinic yeah. ad. all right uh the final clip is for sarah has this ever happened to you <laughs> of course i'm awake i haven't slept in weeks oh yeah do you want to no I'm tired and I'm irritable. You're always tired and irritable. I'm a man. I have needs. Isn't there someone out there who could help me? Will and Grace? Yes. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Correct. Uh, thanks, Megan. Mullally. <clears throat> what are, I, we do have a, a tiebreaker, but what are our final scores? Um, well, why don't Catherine and I, who are tied with five, play the tiebreaker? Ah. Because Dave already won with eight points. Good job, Dave. Okay. Sounds good to me. All right. Go ahead and play that. Play the tiebreaker, Dave. All right. Tiebreaker for Sarah and Catherine. Here we go. What rolls downstairs? Come over and there. Swims over your neighbor's dog. What's great for a snack? It fits on your back. It's long, long, long. All right. What is it? Ren and Stimpy. There. Ding, 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 ding. It's long, long. It's big, it's heavy, it's wood. It's long, long. It's better than that. It's good. Everyone wants a log. You're gonna love it long. Come on and get your log. Everyone needs a log. Log from Blamo. My favorite sound drop on the Go Pirates podcast whenever Duncan was on screen. <laughs> it's log. <laughs> Oh. Hooray! Yay! Good job, everybody. Good job, Thank Dave. You. Good game, Tara. Thanks. Dave! 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 <laughs> Dave. <laughs> All right, guys. That is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We looked directly into the camera and explained all our cryptic thoughts about the final season of House of Cards before going around the dial with stops at Will and Grace... 
Superstore, The Shivering Truth, Rake, and Bodyguard. Megan made the successful case for the sex sexy bull. Bootlander <laughs> season one episode, The Wedding. We crowned winners and losers of the week, and I was the winner of this week's game time. Yeah. Yay. Woo. I love playing game time. Remember, guys, that We're following. listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tari Ariano. Stop the pain! Sarah D. Bunting. Lots and lots of the C word, unfortunately. <laughs> and Catherine Van Arendonk. Ootlander! Yeah, you better believe it. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time, right here on Extra. Not great. I tried to get you out. Out? What a quaint concept. And the only way out was never to get in in the first place. <laughs>